Hello, everyone. Welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that has just as many Oscars as Johnny Depp. Ah, for now, Kalina, for now we do. <laughs> that was Kalina, a dedicated Real Blend listener who actually tried to steal my gig via social media earlier this week, but more on her devious efforts in a moment first. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and this, in fact, is episode number 33 of Real Blend. We are a weekly entertainment podcast dedicated to all things cinema, and the show is co-hosted by my fantastic friends and very close colleagues, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. I am sort of curious as to how Kalina would introduce me. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, uh, I I, I miss Kalina. (laughs) She's a little bit better at this than I am. (laughs) Well, I wonder what she'd say about Kevin McCarthy, entertainment reporter of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kevin. Hey, good afternoon to you, Sean, Jake, yes. and uh, Gabe, our producer. Thank you, as always, for ha- for letting me be your friend. Well, that was Aww. Kalina, and earlier on uh, social media, she decided um, in a moment of me quitting the show in rage, uh, Jake Hamilton style, she decided she would audition for uh, this for this this chair for this seat, and decided she would uh, <laughs> send this to Gabe her introduction. So, if you guys have introductions that you would like to hear on the podcast obviously you can send them to us and we will we're not above just cutting your audio and using it uh, for our benefit and taking complete and total credit for your work (laughs) (laughs) so every week we are uh, live here on the cinema blend facebook page Uh, hopefully some of you are watching us here please say hello uh, drop us a comment or a question producer gabe behind the window will drop it into a, a chat that we can maybe answer to it um, you can also download us after the fact on Google Play, on Spotify, on iTunes, and other such outlets. And there, you can leave us a review. And we have 18 reviews so far, which is totally amazing. Uh, we love reading them at the top of each new show. So this week's review comes from Jordy Snye, who says, "Just his subject line is just subscribe already." I've been listening. Uh. Yeah, I know, right? Just subscribe. I've been listening since the early awards blend days, and I have to say this podcast is a breath of fresh air. There's no cynicism, excuse me, no cynicism. I should practice these beforehand. No air of pretension. All three hosts enjoyment and appreciation of film is contagious. And that's truly something to celebrate. If that wasn't enough, their experience interviewing directors, writers, and stars brings extra insight that I don't hear on any other show. Finally, the weekly blend game is the cherry on top. Being able to play along on Twitter is one of the highlights of my week. Thank you, Sean, Jake, Kevin, and Gabe for putting out this awesome show every week. Keep up the great work, he says. I think that's that's, really nice. That's incredible. That's That's cool. And and he he brought up something that I thought was interesting because I I guess I never really thought about the idea that while we do this podcast and while we're movie fans, we are obviously our jobs are connected to the business and we're in the room with the people we're talking about a lot. And we have that ability to have that access and sit down with our heroes so yeah i mean it definitely i i I didn't really think about the fact that that brings an extra level of um authenticity to what we're doing which is kind of cool so aaron burr would say we're in the room where it happens i want to pull back the curtain too like right before this episode started (laughs) these two are name dropping the number of times they've interviewed robert de niro oh do you remember that first time we had de niro oh then we went and got that picture with de niro and no we we named the number of times that robert de niro has been interviewed by us i won't say who but there's an a-lister who was in a photograph (laughs) (laughs) with robert de niro and jake who got cropped out because at the time he wasn't a-list enough apparently so he wasn't de niro a-lister Hey, That'll we have someone a... on uh, Facebook watching from South Africa. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Ja- Hello. Ja- Jake and I have known each other since 2010, and we, and um, we, uh, people who aren't aware, we used to do these things called geek out dinners. So we would basically- Used to. We still do them now, but like they used to be pretty like hardcore. Like I mean, in the sense that we would get back on a Friday night from like a movie and sit in the room for three or four hours. I remember our Oprah night, Jake. Remember that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, uh, yeah, we, and we would just go over questions, and De Niro was a big one for us. I remember that very vividly. Uh, because him we and should, I like, were practice in... our questions on each other. Yeah, and I remember like because I was so nervous because I had my I had my heat ticket my uh, my my heat ticket from '95 and I was uh, and I remember De Niro was paired with Michelle Pfeiffer and I was like how do we how do I bring this out to him and make it a bit about that without Michelle Pfeiffer getting 
uh, like, you know, getting bored by us nerding out about Heat. And he was so cool about it. I remember him, like, signing the ticket and, like... Yeah, did he randomly just start signing it without even asking you? He just, like, took out a pen and just started writing on it? Well, yeah, I I just wanted to find out because there was always that... that, There was always that uh, controversy or controversy surrounding the fact that maybe De Niro and Pacino didn't shoot the heat scene together because there's never a two shot of the of the both of them face wise in that in that diner scene um which I then got clarified by him and Michael Mann which is it's just an epic moment if you haven't seen heat anybody listening to our show definitely see it I'm sure you so, have but. we're changing the name of the podcast to a uh, name drop blend so yeah <laughs> tune in next week for hashtag name blend. name drop um we were yeah. actually saying that the timing of this week's episode is perfect because right before we got on a huge um, bit of news, and this sort of goes back to our awards blend days, um, Oscar changes. So let's dive right in to this week's episode where we can discuss Crap. Uh, uh, a major shift by the Academy to hopefully get more of you guys interested in tuning into the three-hour uh, Academy telecast. There is going to be a new category, and from everything that I'm seeing, it's going to start like this year. Like Starting with the next Academy Awards telecast, they're going to have uh, achieve. I want to make sure that I'm reading this the right way. Achievement in popular film, uh, which the reaction. What does that mean exactly? Well, like, let's, what is, yeah, what is, so like, let's what? let's talk about that. Like, how do you define? How are they going to define what is popular? Uh, automatically, I'm assuming like, what, it's what, box like what sort of achievement? Like, is it a special? Is it like the special effects in Planet of the Apes? Is it uh, the the pop culture a shift? Uh, that, that Black Panther calls like what? Like what does even like the achievement mean? Well, right off the bat, it's being called the Black Panther Oscar. Like yes. literally, a, a, a movie that has grossed you know a staggering amount of money by itself. That if you stepped back and Kevin, I know that you have a big opinion on this. If you stepped back and tried to ask, is Black Panther an Oscar contender? I think the Academy's reaction is no, it's not. And I think that that is deeply flawed. I don't think Black Panther is the only movie that's sort of affecting this. I think they're looking at movies like A Quiet Place even too, which was really popular um, and wouldn't necessarily in years past contend for an Oscar, despite the fact that like, yes, they have made some concessions for for films like Get Out, which crosses genres. But um, yeah, it just feels like a really cheap and lazy category to catch all movies that... Does that imply that popular films will now never be nominated for Best Picture? Like, wh- that, like why can't a popular film like Titanic won Best Picture? Like, what? Well, wh- and doesn't it automatically like backhandedly call the Best Picture nominees yep. unpopular? Unpopular, yes. unpopular, yes. right? Yeah. That's the that's the reaction. I, so I don't understand this. I don't. I don't understand this on any level. To me, this is one of the most ridiculous, ignorant, and dumb things I've ever heard in my life. And I, I, I have a problem with the idea that. The Academy, and I've said this a lot on my Twitter feed, and, and when the nominations come out and the winners happen, and I'm sure you guys all agree, there is a there is a quote unquote type of Oscar film. I mean that that the uh, that and we we all we're all guilty of this. We'll watch a trailer and go, "That's going to win an Academy Award." Like you can just tell what an Oscar movie is going to be, and generally it's a drama. Generally, the drama category is kind of where the Oscars find their movies. And I think the biggest problem with the situation they're doing here with the popular film is that all they need to do is just rethink what they consider to be an Oscar movie. That's all you have to do. You need to, you need to view... There, 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 there's not equality when it comes to genres at the Oscars. They need to view drama the same way they view comedy and horror and action. And I think the fact that an action movie could never be up for Best Picture or win Best Picture... I mean, I know Star Wars was nominated in 77, that's sci-fi, whatever you want to do, but rarely you get an, an action film... Now, Black Panther is an interesting thing because I love Black Panther, but I I personally don't think it deserves a Best Picture win. If I were to go in the superhero element to bring into this category, I would go more on the Avengers Infinity War side. I agree. I, I, agree I, I, think, I, I just think it's a better film. So I think the Black Panther element of it, yeah, it, as Jake said, it's a cultural shift. It was a big deal. Um, but to say something, to give it a popular award at the Oscars, is basically going against and continuing with that, this idea that Oscars have to be this certain specified type of movie, like The King's Speech or The Artist or Shakespeare in Love, films that, in my opinion, do not stand the test of time and did not deserve Best Picture. Uh, and now we're dealing with this idea that you're making a category to excuse the fact that you're too lazy to actually start considering 
other genres. All right, well, let me okay, play devil's advocate. Okay. Let me play devil's advocate real fast. By introducing this category, aren't they kind of chi- like saying that now we're going to consider some of these movies to be Oscar, no. Oscar movies? You're, because they're, they're still going to get an Oscar. But they're putting them in, in, in a, in a yeah, category it's, it's that be makes... that Oscar. Right, exactly. It's you're winning... Gr- it is gross. You're, you're winning... Yeah. Like, you're winning... Like, why didn't they do, like, a stunt Oscar or, or a choreography right. or, or a voiceover acting Oscar? Like, a category that recognizes an actual craft. I, I do have... Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put on... My my, my uh, tinfoil hat for a second. My uh, my conspiracy theory hat. Ooh, this is gonna be good. Okay, good. Disney just bought 20th Century Fox. Okay, which means that they own a massive number of the franchises that put out all of the big blockbusters every year. Disney, Correct. which is the same umbrella as ABC, ABC, which airs the Oscars, mm. they are guaranteeing themselves at least one Oscar every year. Mm. that's fascinating i mean the thing about it is like pixar you're, you're always locked in to win so that's abc that, that that's always happening yeah. for them but that's a great point though i mean like yeah because by the time the oscars roll out deadpool's now disney yeah. uh, i mean all these movies are now disney marvel star wars uh pixar uh now now uh you know i know x-men's looped into it but all of the franchises that come with fox there's there or at least like four like all of the Disney properties will be competing against themselves for that one Oscar. They, just, they essentially I, created a category for themselves. I just, <laughs> I just find it so frustrating that we are still in a boat where it's still the typical Oscar film. And, and I think we can all agree, if we look at years over years of Oscar winners and losers, like I think the, the, I think the worst... One of the worst moments ever in the history of the Academy Awards was the nomination of the Reader over the Dark Knight. Now, we don't know for sure how close the Dark Knight was to being in there versus the Reader, if that's the one that actually knocked it out. But, the, but I believe it's, it's actually... It was, because because everyone thought it was going to be the other four plus the Dark Knight. Right. But, it's, but it is a factual thing that the Academy went to ten nominees because of the Dark Knight, right? That was I don't the, think they ever admitted it, but it's yeah, the most like, universally the accepted uh, you know, theory. But, but that, to me, is the perfect example of the academy's problem like the dark knight was clearly a best picture nomination that year if not maybe the winner i don't remember what won that year um but what what did win best picture of the year the dark knight was nominated that I'll ledger look. won but anyways was it, was it slumdog millionaire possibly it was 2010 yeah no yeah actually you might be right i might have been in 2009 but I'm i pretty i pretty sure it's slumdog millionaire okay slumdog was great but yeah dark knight what it what did what did Dark Knight do? I mean, Jake, you I always I always quote you on this. Jake had a mm. great quote. Well, this is actually you quoting Matt Damon, I believe, right? That oh, you yeah, said. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and say it because you told me. Well, this I, I've never I've never seen where he said. I always just heard that Matt Damon has said that uh, you should award Best Picture uh, ten years after the movies have come out. So it gives right. you time to reflect and look back on the impact that movies have made. That way, you're not awarding Best Picture to a movie that no one's talking about in five years, a la The King's Speech. So here's the interesting thing about that statement. It's never going to happen, obviously. They're not going to do a 10-year delayed Oscars. But if you look at Matt Damon or Jake's point about that aspect, every it applies to almost every, every year. So the year Social Network and Inception were up against The King's Speech. What films from that year out of those three are still being talked about, dissected, and, and taught? Right, I mean, King's Speech is a, it's a fine film. It's it's a very good movie. Uh, but Inception and Social Network were game changers, and yeah. I think I think people I think we all knew that at the time when we saw Inception, we knew how big of a deal that movie was. When we saw um, Saving Private Ryan, we knew how big of a deal that movie was. But I'm telling you, and we all know this, Oscars come down to campaigning. But now that Weinstein's out of the picture, I think that that's going to change a lot because he, like, that guy ran a campaign like crazy. I mean, if you've got Shakespeare in love to beat Sam Pride Ryan, that, that's full-on politically campaigning. But and there's this, no way. The, the introduction of this category is the, is the Academy essentially admitting that the best picture win holds no value anymore, which is something that I think we kind of recognized over the years anyway but it does hold value or, or is it splitting like golden globes where it's essentially rather than splitting into uh drama and musical comedy is it splitting into independent films point. and blockbusters well let me that's actually a great point three. because the yeah. yeah because the because the comedy uh musical category of the golden globes you're right jake is very similar to what these popular like the hangover got nominated yeah. uh in the musical comedy <laughs> category and we, we haven't even started talking about the fact that they're going to start giving away oscars during commercial breaks yeah. yeah, which like, can you imagine Roger us not getting to see Roger Deakins win his Oscar? No, like, who's going to no. determine 
like whose major life moment should not be seen. Like so, like it shouldn't be during a commercial break. It should be on a separate. If you're going to remove some some categories, and and I believe I'm on record on this podcast having said that you should give it another night. Don't squeeze it into I've because we've all argument. been to yeah. We've all been I've to made award the argument. shows. Some of them can go away. Uh, we vote uh, for award shows. They give away awards during commercial breaks, and it is incredibly do. awkward. People are getting up. They're walking around. They're talking. They're going to the bathroom. Someone's trying to give a speech and have the moment of their life while everyone's talking over them. It is a horrible, I think someone horrible has, idea. People have I gotten think, up to the stage and said, oh, I guess we don't warrant the telecast. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we get the commercial break. And yeah, I think, it does. I think, feel bad. I think every category that's been in the Academy Awards over the past decades should be telecast uh, live. And I, and, I, and I here's my opinion on this situation. So the Oscar telecast is normally what? Three and a half hours? That's the normal time frame? I feel like now it's closing on four. Later. Okay, four. All right, so now they're saying they're going to bring it down to three, which in my opinion is not really a big difference. It's still a long show. Um, here's the thing. There are so much other things you can cut from that show. Um, I still... I, Red carpet. I, I understand the idea that the below-the-line awards uh, may not be interesting to a lot of people, but then you got to think about the person who's winning that award. Um, I understand oh. that, but then, but then, where do you start cutting lines? I mean, like, for example, when Deacons won, uh, if Deacons win cinematography, right? I mean, that's a, that's a that's a really big deal for. I mean, but is it a big deal for the general audiences? I don't know, but I mean, like, does that it's one not. deserve to it's be not. not televised? I mean, yeah, like, no, it's definitely not. And I don't think it's that. I think it's like documentary short. Yeah, yeah. great Animated for them. Short. Tremendous yeah. for them. I don't need to see it. I don't. I, I feel like but for a show that but they should not be secluded to a commercial break. They like why can't they have their ceremony on Saturday night and then sure. and then they all get to go to the ceremony on Sunday with their Oscars. Absolutely, sure. Well, I think they, that's fine. what they would what they would have to do, Jay, because they would have to just literally divide it to technical awards. It would have to be everything technical. So then, no, what's I, I don't disagree. I, I disagree with that because I think there are some technical awards that you could justify are or more recognizable because at least with something like cinematography, there are going to be recognizable movies nominated that people know right no one knows what the documentary shorts or the animated shorts are but at least they think, know what, all right like what blade runner point. is let me drop one on you guys i don't think the most casual viewers care about best director then what uh, are they watching I, the Oscars no, for? it's a big deal the director and it, it, it they might not be able to understand point. it but i think they recognize that the director means something i actually think that's a great idea so everything we just said so so cinematography score um, visual effects, films that have big names tied to them, yeah. stay in even, the in the, in the even I'd argue, I I like sound and sound. Ed- I don't think people Me truly too. appreciate sound and sound editing, but I think sa- and also sound and sound editing are often given to movies that people know. They're often given to the Dunkirks and the Remember Jurassic Parks and the Mad Maxes. Yeah, like uh, I was. When I was watching the Oscars that year and Mad Max was racking up those tech awards. I was getting yeah. so excited. They and need it, to like they need to look at what categories nominate films that people know. Okay, well let me ask a question. This popular category, popular movie category, it's yeah. really it's been introduced solely to to attract more viewers that don't pay attention to the Oscars anymore because they think they're yeah. going to put in movies that that the mainstream audience will care more about. Do you think that will work? Because I, no. I don't. No. no. It, no. First of all, it, it, it's belittling other... Honestly, it, it basically it's a is popularity a slap... contest. It's a slap in the face to... Basically, what you're saying is that your film is not quality enough to win a Best Picture Oscar. Yeah. But we're going to give you an award because your movie made a lot of money. So and Ryan Coogler wins so this year, dumb. right? If Black also, Panther who gets it... Who wins? And Ryan... like, who gets the trophy? Coogler? Or the pro- like, probably the producers. What are probably, the I, I think it works as a best picture. I think it's another category, a best picture type category. Um, I think I don't know. Like, they, they, is they, it possible they, to be nominated for both? That's yes, you can be ask. nominated for both. You can be you can be eligible for both. So yes. if Avengers: Infinity War, um, see that this is where it gets interesting to me because I think Avengers: Infinity War, and and, and I I understand that I'm a comic book movie fan, and I get that I may be a movie nerd or I geek out whatever, but Avengers Infinity War is a genuinely great film from every single It is better than Black Panther. Of, it's my a way better than movie Black of the year. Panther. It's my number one movie of the year currently right now. Here's the thing. Black Panther is a very is a, is a very good movie. And I recognize that what it did uh the cultural shift as Jake said, I think that it's phenomenally directed. I think I think Michael B Jordan is phenomenal. I do think there's some CG issues in that movie and some pacing issues. And but but other than that, 
going back to Infinity War, um, Infinity War is a is honestly a masterclass in pacing, editing, directing, performance, Great. and juggling storylines. And that if that film is put into a category like this popular category, it's completely belittling the fact that that great filmmaking went into that movie. And that, that's, what, that's why I was so frustrated with The Dark Knight not being nominated and films like that, because we haven't yet had the ability for the voters to understand that drama is not the only genre that needs to be awarded. And I think that Mad Max should have won Best Picture. I mean, it's ridiculous what's happening see, here. And also, I mean, I keep going back to this. I'm confused as to what the award is actually for. Is it Best Picture for popular movies? Is it a particular achievement within a popular film, like Andy Serkis within Planet of the Like, could Andy Serkis have gotten it? Yeah, they haven't the defined like, what, what achievement what in they haven't defined what that is. Yeah, is it like a yeah. specific thing or the movie in general? Like if Black Panther is nominated, is it Black Panther as a whole? Is yeah, it, if they it, if they're smart, they'll keep it vague enough so that every year they can just do something to acknowledge whatever the big daddy yeah. popular movie is, right? Like, and be like, you, you know Andy Circus has to be ticked off right now because in theory, could he have won an Oscar? For his achievement in popular film in Planet sure. of the Apes. Sure. Well, Jake brings up an interesting element about the Andy Circus thing because, and you guys, we're all vocal about this. I've I've been extremely vocal on Twitter about Andy Circus for many many years, um, being nominated for an Oscar just for acting. I don't want Andy Circus nominated for a special Oscar. I want Andy Circus nominated for best actor. And I, I, and I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. Disagree I, with you. I I just have a hard time with these special categories and the and the idea of putting someone in a box where they're not in the grouping of what's considered to be the best so for example i mean the andy circus thing is so mind-blowingly frustrating to me that the academy still does not understand that he's just acting it's because of the average age of the academy members i think until unfortunately a lot of these older academy members with all due respect start dying off we're, it, it's going to take a younger academy to recognize someone like Andy Serkis, unfortunately. There is zero, zero difference between what Andy Serkis did in Caesar for the Plan, Planet of the Apes and what Gary Oldman did in uh, in The Darkest Hour. All, the only difference, and this is, these are Andy's words, is the makeup. So you see physically Andy or uh, uh, Gary on screen with makeup on his body, and then the only thing you're seeing with Andy Serkis is the digital makeup on top of what he performed. So... It, it, it's so mind-blowing crazy to me because you can look at Gary Oldman and give him an Oscar, even though you can't see him, he's covered in a ton of makeup, but then you can't understand that Andy's doing the exact same thing, just digitally being added makeup to him. That's all I still think it should if we're going to add a category, it should have been stunt work. Stunt like work! There are, there are decades of stunt work that's gone underappreciated and undervalued. And, I mean, honestly, how cool would it have been for Mission Impossible Fallout yeah. to win an Oscar for its stunt work? Yeah. Now, who wins for that? Just Cru- like would would Cruz? I don't know. That? Is that is that Cruz's first Oscar? Ugh, to win for stunt work, so and 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 yeah. would that tick him off if that yes. was his Oscar? Well, okay, so we have to move on. We have to move on after this. But literally, you're going to come up with two categories where the winners in them are going to just going to feel disappointed because whoever right. wins, like they're like this isn't what they're, yeah is going to say. It's like, well, it's how like come Kubrick I can't winning special effects. Yeah, but, and. It, when the best picture is going to be like, does this mean we're not popular enough? Like, right. are we not? If to say, let's say Moonlight, you know, won that year, it won best picture, but it wasn't even in the popular category. Yeah, right. You win the both of them feel like consolation prizes, and it's really. Yeah. I don't yeah. see how the Academy did. Is there, is there any that. chance they? I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of backlash to this on social media just within the past couple of hours because they just announced it a few hours ago. Any chance they backlash or they sort of like, well, we're in this now. No, so it's like James Gunn. It. No, it's like yeah. it's like the James Gunn decision. You've made it yeah. and you got to live with it now. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, I, yeah, it's very frustrating to me. I think it's ridiculous. I think the, if you're going to make the show shorter, then make the show shorter by to like two hours. I mean, I, I have no problem watching a three hour broadcast of the Oscars because I'm so into this business and the, and the movie element of it. But I get that no one's going to want to sit there for three hours. Cut the show short. To yeah. two hours and get everything you can get every you can get everything in an hour if you really had to but you you, you you they're doing it because they want to sell as much advertising as possible cover as much landscape as possible um but the popular thing is the one of the dumbest things i've ever heard in my life ever well, one of the only one of the only reasons that i'll be happy about the popular category is if they recognize first man kevin let's talk about first man <laughs> because we went and saw the imax footage we actually went back to fallout uh yeah. to see this new 
presentation. Jake was, uh, he didn't want to do it. He didn't care. Doesn't care it enough. It comes out in like four days. <laughs> I'm not going to see five four minutes. Days. I, I'm annoyed. About? It comes out in October. That's, yes. that's the month after next. That's, yes. I'm, I'm a little annoyed that Kevin and I in a few weeks are seeing 30 minutes of Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't like seeing a chunk of movie before I that see is the movie. Weird. I just, I just want to see the movie. It's just so, a trailer, Jake. It's just a tra- it's just a trailer formatted to IMAX. It's not like so you're watching a, 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 a chunk of the film or anything. I thought wasn't, man... wasn't it the moon landing sequence? No. no, the, well, no. The, Tell the, us. Tell okay, us on the podcast. On. Wait, 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 wait. So First Man is uh, the story of Neil Armstrong and the, the launch to get to the moon. And the reason why we care is because it's the patron saint of one of the patron saints of Real Blend. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, on a, on a Mount Rushmore of current working filmmakers, Damien Chazelle, uh, whose films include Whiplash and La La Land, which both of those should you come back put around. You would him on the Mount Rushmore of current working filmmakers? I would. Yes, I would. I would put him right up there. I think his films... Are, the, his oh. last two films have been my number ones the year they came out. So, if we yes. If we could do this in two minutes, can you guys give your quick form? Like, like, I'm thinking no, like Spielberg, Tarantino, go, Scorsese. We will go yeah. so far down. Tarantino, like, Spielberg, Nolan... Scorsese. Uh, Scorsese, yeah, yeah. Abrams. I mean, Chazelle's definitely up there, but I wouldn't say yeah. he's one of the. Sorry, yeah. Mm, Gabe know. just had a Gabe had a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, okay. Tell, tell us about the first man footage. Bookmark that. Oh, so it's it's and here's why I think this is going to be really exciting. What it chose to focus on was the human element of the borderline impossible quest to get from the earth to the moon. And it's something that I just don't think we focus. What's going to separate this movie from other films about the space race is that, and Jake, you brought this up in an earlier podcast where it's like uh, the, the lights shaking showed Mm -hmm. that like these guys in, in Texas and Florida who are working for NASA um, were just regular people who were really working with the tools that they had at their disposal. And we're using more technology right now than they had to get to the moon. And (laughs) that's, is terrifying. Crazy. That's terrifying. So this the fact sequence... that they couldn't even get the lights to be stable. Like, imagine <laughs> the last thing you see before getting into the rocket is the fact that they couldn't even stabilize these lights before well, getting in. That, that is terrifying to me. And the joke that it plays better in this footage is the Swiss Army knife joke, where, like, someone says, like, does anyone have a Swiss Army knife? And because it, what they had to do was there was, like, a little latch, plastic latch that they had to, like, free up. And they just needed like a little thin thing to get it. And Gosling's character, look, uh, Neil Armstrong, his character, Gosling's Neil character. Armstrong, <laughs> he looks around. And he's like, "Are you kidding me? A Swiss Army knife? Like, what are we about to do here? Yeah. Right?" And it, but it, you're it shooting li- us it, to the moon. Yes, and it just takes the time and lingers in that moment of you know they. Lo- it's almost like I feel like when you're on a roller coaster and you're going up, up, up to the very, very top, and you have that moment right before it begins where you're like. I don't really know if I want to do this ride, you know, but these guys are going to the moon. And uh, I, I think that that's a perfect way for Chazelle to sort of take this story. That's obviously really familiar to all of us and we know where it's going, but still make it really riveting and, and captivating. Well, I think that, that that's the, to me, that's the key to a great filmmaker is when you have suspended or disbelief so much in a, in a film that you completely forget what's going to happen. And you're on the edge of your seat. Like I, it's fascinating to me because I was watching the footage. People who haven't seen it yet, it, it's playing before Mission Impossible in IMAX only. Um, and I, you basically step into the area with Gosling, and uh, and you are in that cockpit wherever for the next what two three minutes, Sean? You think? And yes, as it takes off, we're talking about some of the shakiest camera work you've ever seen in your life because that's probably exactly what it felt like to be in there. And I've, I've been feeling people are going to criticize the element of that because it is hard to see. But you also have to imagine that you are kind of Neil Armstrong in that moment. You are supposed to be in that moment with him, experiencing that terror, that anxiety, that unknown with him. And But I'm telling you, man, once he steps out, Sean, you, I, mean, I mean, that IMAX footage of him walking on the moon and then the shot as he turns around with his the visor and you can see everything. Well, it is. That's what's selling remarkable. me truly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm on board with this movie hundred percent anyway, but if, if the moon landing, the moon footage is where it blows up to IMAX, it's going to be, and he gives a little bit each time. The first time I saw it was at CinemaCon in Vegas and they showed the door opening and them going down the ladder and it blew my mind. And in this one, they give you a little bit more. They show him like, yeah, standing on the surface and the full scope of him turning around. And what it gives you is just this sense of, which I think we all had in gravity of just your, your insides are turning. Cause 
if I ever stop and think fully what these men, the memory that these men have, you know, of standing on the surface of the moon and looking out at the galaxy, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be possible. Yeah. And yet they, and yet they did it. Allegedly, it truly right? is Allegedly. insane. <laughs> yeah. It's truly insane to, to watch this footage. And I know Gabe, our producer saw it too. Um, for people who don't know, I mean, Chazelle, basically he shot on the exact same formats that Nolan does. So it's 65 mil IMAX. So it's going to blow up that big. Um, so I recommend if people are seeing it, see it in the largest IMAX, you can possibly see it like a science museum. Um, I think Sean and I probably both saw it in a digital IMAX when we saw Mission yeah, Impossible. I did. Um, it still expands to the screen there, but it's not as large as uh, Chazelle will intend it to be. Um, I mean, if you got, if anybody out there saw Dunkirk or Interstellar or Dark Knight or, or Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in 70 millimeter IMAX, that's how big it's going to be. Uh, and that scene specifically is when it blew up on our screen uh, because it was 35 mil widescreen normal uh, when we were doing the takeoff. And then, boom, step out of that freaking thing, step down, full blown IMAX. Uh, and it is truly unreal. And I, I was sitting in a theater, sold out theater of Mission Impossible. And people, here's the thing, people, people are kind of jaded when they go to the movies nowadays, they're talking to their friends or on their phones, whatever. Um, when that moment happened, when he stepped out, there were gasps in uh, my theater. Uh, and awesome. it is dead silent, dead silent. I mean, it kind of brings a whole new meaning to the whole concept of alien, like no, no, in space, no one can hear you scream. Like it generally is this like horrifyingly beautiful moment and just the colors of it, the way it looked, it looked so real. I genuinely thought we were sitting on the moon with Neil Armstrong. That's what it felt like. I mean, I know mm -hmm. it sounds exaggeratory, but that's what it felt like. And it's truly a remarkable thing that he chose to shoot large format like Nolan. Um, so I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be unbelievable. I, I, I'm I hoping, hope... I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing how it, because I feel like standing on the moon is something that our brains just can't comprehend. Like there, there, yeah. there are a finite number of people that truly understand what that means. I was, I, I got to interview Buzz Aldrin last year and he was like trying to explain to me that feeling of, when he, not necessarily even when he stepped on the moon the first time, but when he turned around and saw the earth. And he's like, imagine seeing yeah. all of human civilization in your eye. Yeah. And like, I can't, I can't, we've, yes, we've seen pictures and stuff, but like, I just can't comprehend seeing that in the moment. And I look forward to a, a movie giving us a, an actual, genuine feeling, a sensation that, that you could count the number of people that have experienced it on, well, on just, you know, one or two, two hands. I feel that way about Man on Wire. Like, that's one of the reasons why I love that documentary yeah. so much is because that guy did something that no one will ever be able to do. Yeah. A, what he did is yeah. ridiculously impossible. Yeah. But he did it, and then he can be, like, one of the very few people on this planet to be like, I did this, and no one else yeah. will be able to do it. I also yeah, thought Zemeckis, ever be able to do it. Zemeckis did a great job shooting the IMAX 3D. When we, I mean, movie aside, just the walk across itself. Um, I want to mention one quick thing because uh, I, I know Sean, you and I saw that we saw Mission Impossible, and I was curious what your thoughts were on this because someone, I, someone had tweeted me this, and I remember thinking this as well when I first saw the movie. How similar Fallout is to The Dark Knight um, in regards to the way it uses sound and music and mm -hmm. shots. Like if you look at that whole sequence. Uh, if people out there who haven't seen the movie, remember the scene when he has the dream sequence about what's going to happen during that mm -hmm. when when they when they essentially take um, uh, Lane when they uh, essentially um, extract him. Yeah. So yeah. And, and so we go into that dream sequence and there's like this beautiful music playing as the as the motorcycles uh, around the corner and then we have that scene where Tom Cruise is about to shoot that guy and then it kind of goes back to the reality. That is so Nolan. It's oh, like, yeah. It, it I, is... I, I thought about that whenever we were watching it in Paris. So my first oh. thought was like, this is such a Nolan scene. It's mm -hmm. so Nolan. And, and honestly, if you guys remember Dark Knight very well, which I think we all do, remember the shot in Dark Knight when those guys are riding, uh, the police guys are riding in that like truck, whatever, and they, they see the fire truck on fire and they mm -hmm. take the alternate route? That's exactly what happens in yeah. Mission oh, Impossible. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's the true. truck falls and then they take the route. It, that scene is so dark night and i i would imagine that macquarie is aware of that because it's very I mean, even well he the way said that he went out of his way to try to make uh six five rogue nation and uh and and fallout feel like it was two different directors and and yeah. i feel like that's that's a fun line for him to say in interviews but the more i think about it i do actually think that he made a conscious effort and i do feel like yeah. uh that well, they do feel like they're directed by two different people absolutely it's so it's so i mean if you literally study that scene score sound everything shot wise the the way the police look it is very dark well, night i mean like he it, has 
eerily. He, he did the spoiler podcast for Empire, and he says in that that his editor, the whole time that they were working on Fallout, his editor kept turning to him and be like, this is a trilogy. Like, you're going to come back and finish this. And so watching this a second time, knowing that, like, there's more stuff. Like, the reason that he leaves Solomon Lane alive, and there's just other plot threads that they need to pick up. Like, he has to come back for the seventh one. Macquarie, ha- yeah. Christopher Macquarie has to come back for the seventh one. I still think it's the fourth best one. So I oh, but it's I, it, it, fair, fair, but it's still amazing. It's still amazing. Amazing movie, but I, I, I still cannot get past Henry Cavill's the villain, and I don't think the plot's that great. I really don't. And I, and right. I, I, I had the same problem that Jake has, by the way, with, with Protocol. I think it peaks in the in the beginning, in the middle. All right, um, Spielberg, Fincher, Chazelle. And Turtle Tob. So let's transition Turtle. to the to the ah. Meg. <laughs> Our, that's my, oh, that's my Rushmore. Turtle Tob. I, I, I quit. Because, I quit this podcast. <laughs> because he has a movie coming into theaters uh, called The Meg, which okay. stars Jason Statham as a, a shark hunting, uh, I don't know, what, what stunt guy? What, what is this? What is this? Well, I guess professional, but I loved Statham in this movie. So we're going to review the Meg. We're not going to get into any kind of spoilers. This is more of our sort of blunt what reaction. What are you going to spoil? <laughs> Does he live? Does the I Meg mean, survive? And, and we have to make sure we mention that this, the embargo for this film lives at seven o'clock tonight. So we are going to uh, give a reaction, but not our reviews. So like social reactions Correct. are out there now. So we'll, yes. we'll react to it, but we'll, we'll get, I guess we'll get more in depth. Our, our review ratings wise um, next week. Well, Gabe asked uh, in the, ch- in the notes for this show, which I know you guys don't ever look at. I'm the only one who ever looks at the notes that Gabe produces. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I didn't know there were notes. This moment. This is news to me. Wait, there are notes on Did a scale of uh, jaws to Sharknado. Uh, he's asking, where where would you place the Meg? If Jaws is the 10 and Sharknado is the zero. Here's here's my issue. Here's my biggest issue with the Meg. Is that well, it's give an right answer in, first. It's, it's right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. I, I, it, I stepped it, it, all over that. Pick a lane. Pick a lane, <laughs> Meg. Like, be goofy and silly or be a real film. But, like, it's just fine. It's res- it's whatever. See, I like that. It wasn't it, fun. I like that it straddled oh, that line. I disagree with that. I disagree I, with that. I actually like I that it straddled, it straddled the line, to be honest. Yeah, I really yeah. do. What I mean by that is Sharknado is absurdly ridiculous and stupid, and there's no emotional stakes whatsoever to those characters. Correct. Jaws is very serious, very, very um, in-your-face, horror, scary, thriller, whatever. Middle Ground is what kind of what Turtle Top found here. I mean, it, it's, it's a movie that does emotionally invest you in people. I'm not saying that these are like three dimensional, like major characters, but I, who are you emotionally invested in? I actually, I actually cared for some of the characters. I really did. And with what Kevin's saying, every single time, any of the characters, and I'm not saying that they're well-crafted characters, but anytime any of them fell into the water, I legit yeah. was like, oh my gosh, get out of the water. Like, right. <laughs> I need you to get out of the water. If you're watching Sharknado and someone falls in the water, like, yeah, get him. You don't care. But I do think that there is a line that he found. And I'm not saying this movie is great. And I think I, I think that there is, I liked it and I do recommend it. And I'll give my review later on. But I think it's an interesting thing that the movie starts off. It's actually genuinely serious, but never too serious. And then, really, you're paying your money to watch Jason Statham fight a 70 foot shark, and that's and he does, get. and you a get lot. that. So it's yes, like, so to me, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> to me, it worked. I actually liked that it didn't go full Sharknado and it didn't go full Jaws. It's a great spectrum that Sean brought up there. That that's really the spectrum we're looking at. It's right in the oh. middle. I got to credit Gabe for the spectrum and he's actually moving the sliding scale in the spectrum. So in the middle of this conversation, in the show notes that you guys don't look at, uh, he said Deep Blue Sea would be the middle of that sliding scale spectrum. Then he thinks it's more like mm. three quarters of the way closer to Jaws. I don't know. Deep Blue Sea wasn't that good. I thought I Deep Blue think. Sea was more closer to Sharknado. Like, uh, Deep yeah. Blue Sea was a little goofier. Like, no, I mean, this okay. is this is definitely... To me, I saw the sold-out crowd the other night. My wife had to see it for her reviews. Um, I, I enjoyed the movie. I actually think it's fun. I don't. I, I, I think the people... Oh, I would recommend it. I think sure. people should go see it. Yeah, I, I recommend it, too. It's, 
It's a high-budget sci-fi channel shark movie. Like, I disagree. That it's, undersells it's, it. That undersells it. That, I think movie. that appropriately sells it. No, I, no, there, no, no, to no, me, no. there was just there was nothing there. There's nothing that we haven't seen before. Even in the promos, it makes the shark look better, bigger than it actually looks in the movie. Listen, I think in this movie, Jason Statham, Jason Statham takes a page out of The Rock's playbook and does yeah. what what Skyscraper should have done, which is it finds the right tone between campy and somewhat and serious. serious yeah and, serious. and like i'll tell you right I now feel, i think people are giving it a pass because it's just okay well they're giving yeah. you a pass because you're yeah. just okay by the way hey we, that is my joke <laughs> it is your joke but it works every time every time you gotta give a little credit to the visuals by the way um there's they're a shot good. They're there's good. a there's a shot in this film uh that i honestly on the second viewing it blew my mind it, it's the scene where and i won't give too much away can i guess can i guess go ahead is it when the bigger thing comes after the smaller thing? No, no. It's okay, the okay. shot. It's the shot. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Does that even make sense? <laughs> um, anyway, so it's, remember the scene, Sean, where I, I won't give anything away, but the, the shark is trying to swallow something. Like very, very... Stop, Jake! Stop! No, no, stop. You know what I mean, Sean. Stop, There's Jake. a person yes. inside of a cage. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. looks amazing. That, that scene does. looks insane. Like, that's and, really well done. And what Statham does as a character in that scene was yeah. really cool. It was it so is cool. cool. It was very I cool. I liked it. I liked it. We'll get so, to the review later. In 20 years, me. when we do You Were Wrong Blend, this right. is going to be my pick. <laughs> We're not saying the movie. Like, I'm going to go, remember that time? You guys um, give glowing reviews to the Meg. My friend Adam Fraser leaned over to me after the Meg screening, and he said that's a better Jurassic Park sequel than Jurassic World was. I agree. Fallen Kingdom than Fallen Kingdom was. I also I told Jake this the other day, and Jake got mad at me, but I genuinely mean it. The Meg is better than Christopher Robin. I'm sorry. No! It, oh my it God! A, it is a better. Oh film. my God! Who are you? It's a better. Are you movie? dead They're inside? Different. They're different. But They're hard to compare. Sean, which one would you recommend someone to go see? The Meg in a heartbeat. Exactly. The Meg oh my heartbeat. god, I put the fuck <laughs> Yeah, the Meg in a heartbeat. I think more people have fun with the Meg. Yeah. Oh, can you just replace money. me with Kalina? No, she has good movie taste. She wouldn't, be able to, she wouldn't last long. All right, we have to get to this week's... Oh, I cannot um, believe you two just said that. Blend game, which uh, has been... Whew, this is a tough one. And I, Jake may even change his mind before we get to this one. And part I of kinda, the fun... I actually kind of thought of that. Part of the fun of this was that uh, last week we changed the blend game from uh, best to favorite. And I think that this is a perfect week for us to do favorites because we're doing hashtag ending blend. And I want to weigh in the fact that that the people who are playing along at home on our Twitter feed, follow us at Real Blend, please, if you've made it this far into the podcast. You guys had amazing suggestions, uh, ones that made me almost change my mind about which ones I wanted to go to. And, you know, like I think when you're choosing what you think the your favorite ending is of all time, it's going to be deeply personal to you. And it's going to be why you think that this is the best ending. So I know that there's no way that we have the same one. Gabe, we all have to have three different ones, I would assume, right? Okay, three different ones. Um, but I don't know how we guess. Like, it's impossible to guess. Yeah, so why don't, don't we just go? Wait, yeah, so wait, we just we go. Can, we can guess, can't we? How? There's a bazillion movies to choose from. I, I think I know Jake's. Well, Kevin, you apparently, according to the show notes, show notes, we actually have show notes and we fill in what the topics are going to be. Well, I want to let people know, uh, peek behind the curtain, right before we start the show, Kevin uh, says to me, he goes, hey, what? can you tell me what the topics are for this, <laughs> this week? I did. Okay, so what's really... worse, Kevin asking for the topics or me every yeah. week going, what time do we start? What? <laughs> <laughs> and when Kevin said we tomorrow. We start the same time every week. For a minute. When he said tomorrow, I was like, oh, shoot, are we tomorrow? Uh, Kevin gets to go first. And uh, Jake, do you want to guess? I mean, I feels like it's. Uh, uh, I'm only only just because he put it in a tweet and I have heard him talk about it extensively. I'm going to say oh. gone, baby, gone. Oh, I'm going to say the mist. I'll say the mist. It's, it's funny that those are the those are the two that I was torn between. I went, I went, I went with Gone Maybe Gone. Um, great, great. My favorite movie ending of all time. Gone Maybe Gone. That's interesting. So so let me tell you why. And and favorite. It's it's a very weird ending to call your favorite. Um, but the reason why I call it my favorite is because to this day, as I sit here, what year did that movie come out? Two thousand eight. What year oh was gosh. that film? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven, I think. Okay, so we're eleven years after that film came out. I still, to this day, and am one, shocked and horrified by that ending, and two, I still don't know what I would have done in their situation. 
Uh, it it is that conflicting to me. And I remember I, I just talked to Michelle Monaghan about it on the red carpet for Mission Impossible Fallout and nice. told her that I still can't get over that ending. Um, for people who haven't seen it or, or have seen it, um, I'd love to get your opinions on what you guys would have done in that situation. Um, we all know the storyline. The little girl's kidnapped. Uh, Amy, the uh, who's the actress? Amy, Amy, Ryan. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, who is brilliant. Yeah. Amazing. Should have won the Oscar that year. Yes. Agreed. So, she would have won the popular Oscar, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so Amy Ryan um, is led to believe that her daughter's dead, essentially. That's kind of the, the, the mindset that she's in. Her daughter's gone missing. And... We find out at the end that that the daughter is safe and sound with Morgan Freeman and clearly living a very solidified home, nice life that probably would be better for the daughter. And the idea that they end up giving the daughter back to Amy Ryan doesn't like Morgan Freeman. They, he goes to he goes to prison or he gets uh, obviously in very big trouble because he was part of the, the department. Um, from what I, if I remember correctly, it's been a also long time. spoiler alert for ending Glenn, by the way, <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're giving away so many different spoilers. This is, this so is 11 years out. ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, fair game, um, fair game. I, I remember sitting in the audience, like watching that moment when they decide to return the daughter to Amy Ryan. And I remember, yeah. and, and do you remember the shot at the end when Casey is in the apartment and he yeah. kind of gives that face that he realizes he made yeah, because doesn't decision? it imply that, like, the mother just goes back to her old oh, ways of, well, like, yeah, leaving the kids? Yeah, because she's 100%. a terrible mother. Yeah. A terrible yeah. mother. Yes. Yeah. So, the worst. So, so the conflict there, the question being... Um, for this nature little, or nurture. For this, nature little girl, or nurture. for this little girl's sake, for her life, I mean, like, the fact, the, the, the fact is, the matter is, the way that mother lived, that girl could be dead in a year. I mean, like, sure. like that, that, she, she was a horrible mom. Drug then, addict. Drug addict. She could have negligent OD'd. mother. The, the daughter the daughter could have gotten into some of her mom's stuff and, and died that way. Whatever that whatever that is. But then you have the other side of the coin where the daughter was kidnapped by Morgan Freeman's character and he's giving this girl a great life. So the conflict of the also, idea Also does does Freeman end up going to jail? I think he does. He does. I, I believe yeah. he does. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. But I don't they have a so shot? So, where they, don't so they... Affleck is ruining multiple people's lives. Well, yes. Well, that's well. He <laughs> did a wrong thing though. He kidnapped a kid. Right. So there, there, therein lies the conflict. Yeah, yeah. Do, do I you get let? It. Do you let a mother? It's a. Oh, it's a great. I think it's Affleck's best movie without do you, question. Do yeah. you let a mother continue agree. living her life, knowing her, thinking her daughter's dead, and then knowing that the daughter will have a greater life over here with the kidnappies? Or do you bring the kid back, knowing it'll have a really bad life, and then Great. give the mother that option? I mean, yeah. what would you guys do in that situation? I'd, I'd, do, the, I'd do the former. Uh, yeah, I would have left her. Also, because I give Morgan Amy Freeman. Ryan's character two months before she's moved on, forgot she had a daughter. Totally. totally. But, I, I but, think over the course but, of the investigation, she does kind of forget. Yeah. Like, the, like, she like, just likes... like, trust me, Kevin, you're, you're a good person. I get why you're torn about this. I... I just based on that movie and based on those characters, and I'm not saying that in real life this is what I would do, but in that film with those characters in that scenario, I leave the kid with Morgan Freeman. But do, so, but and you allow the mom to think her daughter's dead, and le- yeah. let her be let her be concerned about it for all of 18 minutes before she goes on another drug binge. Yes, it's. I mean, listen, I'm kind of leaning more towards where you guys are too, but yeah. uh, but imagine being a mother and knowing your da- thinking your daughter's dead. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing, and it and that moment that that look on Affleck's face as he's sitting in the apartment. I think he thinks he made a mistake by the time. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. He knows he made a mistake. All right, oh, in now a I need to go back world, and watch this movie. In a perfect it's world, Dennis, that's a Dennis Lehane uh, novel, Shutter and he's Island. written multiple um, books with those two detectives, with Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan's oh, I didn't know characters. That. Oh yeah, he's there's like five or six at least, and I wish. That they kept that as a franchise because some they're not. I think that's the best does of the it, books. Does it reference the ending of Gone Baby Gone, or is that just a single? Oh yeah, story? yeah, yeah. No, they're sequel. all connected. There's they're a sequel. All to Gone Baby Gone. Yes, there's a sequel that's set a few years later called Ooh. Moonlight Mile or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's really. I, good. I just, I just, really good. as I sit here explaining that ending, and Ed I, Harris I, also. Ed Harris was great. Yeah. In that movie. I'll say this: I have not watched Gone Baby Gone since I first saw it. And I'll never forget it because I, I, I watched it and then Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck came to D.C. to AMC Georgetown and did a red carpet. 
And I remember Affleck walking up to me, and I, I made some reference to, to his character from Mall Rats, and he started laughing or whatever. Um, and we're at the Gone Baby Gone Red Carpet referencing Mall Rats. Um, but, you know, th- I saw the movie then, whatever year that was, 2007, 2008, whatever it was, and I have not watched it since. And to this day, I, I think about it at least once a month. And it's one of those things that it just comes up in my mind, and I cannot get it off my mind. I don't know what I would do. And to me, that's the definitive way to end a film or and right. or book so jake you were torn so what'd you I what did torn. you end up on what did uh, i guess Jake's? i ended up cho- okay. sure yeah he went with seven my favorite movie ending of all time i chose was seven wow um i saw that movie when i was far too young to see that movie you some but it was dudes yeah yeah <laughs> it's the movie that taught me that <clears throat> if a movie is good enough anything is possible with the ending Mm. And that the bad, the good guy doesn't always win, and the bad guy doesn't always lose, and sometimes things just don't work out. And the the car ride leading to the Oof. desert, where there were where John Doe played beautifully by Kevin Spacey, is essentially justifying himself for each person that he killed, and just the precision and the 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 writing and the editing and the cinematography and the acting and the directing of that final sequence just of the three of them just standing in the desert is genuinely one of the most haunting sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. And these days, it's a little annoying because it gets kind of boiled down to people going, what's in the box? But one, that's one of Brad Pitt's (laughs) finest acting moments. That is genuinely an unbelievable, like where he kind of starts like, he's holding the gum, but he kind of starts like breaking a little bit. It's the best cry I've ever seen in a film. It's like, it's like, it's like this like, yeah he's like trying to hold it back and and that moment where you realize that this is exactly what kevin spacey wanted and sort of like like you're ending kevin then then we're we're presented with a choice yes where does brad pitt sort of get like the 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 vengeance that he wants he wants the wrath that he wants and kevin spacey is uh, envy and he like do you kill the guy and essentially allow him to win Mm. Or do you sort of withhold that anger in that moment and then keep his plan from coming to fruition? And it was, it's, it's an unbelievable moment where I still, like, I'm sure I would probably do exactly what Brad Pitt does. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable. And it's one of my favorite final quotes of a movie where Morgan Freeman says, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. And then there's a beat. And then he says, I agree with the second part. Mm. And then he goes, dun, dun, cuts to black. Mm-hmm. And it's just uh, the other ending I was debating on that I ultimately ended up not choosing was Shawshank. The reason I gave the edge to seven is because ultimately Shawshank is Stephen King's ending. That's what he mm-hmm. wrote in the in the uh, novella mm-hmm. Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption. So in terms of like just truly great cinematic endings, I just don't think from a technical to a story point to an emotional standpoint, I just, for me it doesn't get better than seven. I mean that is an amazing ending, and it's like and it, you're right, Jake. It's the exact same decision and it's almost i don't know why i jumped to this in my mind just now but i i, I jumped to the moment in infinity war when pratt um yeah. ends up uh yeah. messing what up did you the, do messing the glove coming off of uh, uh off of thanos and it's the same thing it's like the, the concept of like you're so enraged that your emotions take over and logic goes out the window i mean brad pitt in that moment logic was gone and i and like the best thing about that ending by the way is the the flash frame of Gwyneth's face yeah. is not, not her, her dead it's her a happy face. moment yeah it's, well, it's because just that's like, that's what to me that's what is making him break down because he's right. remembering a lot of people say oh you get to see her head in the box no he's remembering how beautiful she was and how much he loved her that's that's well, the tragedy that also moment. because it's so much of that movie is about Pitt being so consumed by the investigation mm-hmm. that he's ignoring this life that he lives um, and Morgan Freeman's character kept basically saying to him, you have a beautiful wife, yeah. you know, and you, she, you're going to have a baby. Yeah. There's that's, even a scene right before he, right before uh, Kevin Spacey comes out and screams detectives. I think a guy or a woman at a desk says, Hey, like, detective Mills, like your wife called. He's like, yeah, I'll call her back later. Like that's yeah. the last thought he had so about his wife. In that moment, he's realizing the repercussions of this is that he's never going to have that life again. Right. Yeah. Like that life yeah. that he has shelved for this investigation is never going to be his again. So bleak. I, to oh, me, those, so those, bleak. those those conflicts are so 
fascinating to me. And like, it's weird. It's it's weird because we're saying favorite, like as if we like these endings in the sense of like they make us happy. They don't. And what I think the concept of what, especially the ones that Jake and I chose, is that they're so conflicting that they leave you thinking emotionally. I mean, I haven't seen Gone Baby Gone in eleven years. And that ending still makes the hair on my arm stand up. Yeah. And see, I've seen I've seen like, seven probably a thousand times. And me it too. Still makes yeah. my hair, and it works every time. I, and right. it, Sean, it's crazy. Sean, I don't even know where to begin with yours, man. <laughs> I, I I know I know Sean's. Oh, good. Yes, Forrest Gump. Yes, it is. I was, <laughs> I was so happy when it ended. Yes, I was so happy when it ended. Um, yeah, it's funny. You both chose Morgan Freeman movies, whether you both realized it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I and my other choice, my alternate choice was a Morgan was Freeman a Morgan movie. Freeman movie. So Morgan Freeman is uh, immersed in in real blend. This is week. he in one um, of yours? Is he in yours? No, he's not in mine. But Kevin Spacey is. Oh, cool. Home. We usual have... suspects. I picked Usual Suspects. Wow. And yeah. if, we, if you go back and and just think about the first time that you saw it. Um, because it's so cliche and I, the only reason, the only thing that, that prevented me from potentially picking it is how cliched it is. Um, but it's cliched for, but a that's reason. not the movie's fault. No, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, in, the, in the same way that like, if a kid watches Die Hard today and they're like, oh, it's full of cliches. Like, no, it created the, the, created the, cliche. the cliche. Yeah. yeah. And this is what, like in thinking about an ending of a movie, there were a lot of suggestions of people who were like, oh, that scene, you know, near the end. And it was like, no, 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 that's not the end like that movie that screenplay macquarie of course yeah mm. patron saint of real blend um crafts the ultimate puzzle that is not finished until the very last piece is snapped into place yeah and it is and what it does is changes everything you just watched <laughs> it reverses it completely yeah. and it's just it's so how many movies have we watched guys that like just peter out with 15 to 20 minutes left to go right like they do something really really cool and then they don't know where to go with it the Meg. every beat <laughs> of the usual suspects exists to drive home this who is yeah. kaiser soze and and you get your answer and the answer that you get no no one i don't care who says that they knew it no, no one saw it coming no one. And when that do when Kaiser Sose, when Kevin Spacey starts walking mm. and you and the montage of all of the things that he yeah. used the stuff on the, the coffee movie, mug and yeah, yeah. in his story, like just off the like a really big fat fat lady, you know, like yeah. uh Orca fat, you know, like all this stuff that's on the on the board that he's pulling up. Genius. Just genius. And it's so mostly it's screenwriting, but then you backfill it and it's great stuff that the singer did and it's the cast is amazing. Yeah. But that ending is perfect it's perfect and so to me that'll always be my favorite because i get a chill watching it play out every single time because Chaz is brilliant and you know that he even has they even string along throughout the movie the the fax machine you know the description yeah. and it's what is it going to look like and that comes through and you you they keep Chaz is also it. great in that moment spacey gets all the credit but Chaz is Chaz sells that moment if he's he incredible. if he isn't good that scene doesn't work totally well it really to me, the like, whole movie is great. The whole ensemble is is amazing. But to me, that ending is is so so brilliant. So. And what Sean just said about the idea of like picking that ending or, or not picking it, be, being worried about it being cliche. It's like, a Sixth Sense is obviously one of those endings where you, you think back on like to, like the powerful the powerful element of an ending like that and Sixth Sense is the rewatch. Like the rewatch of those films ends up being even better than the first time because of the like. Like, if, like, get and the out. fact that the rest of the movie is good. Like, yeah. an ending can be great, but if they're like, that's why I always argue about the Sixth Sense. Like, it's more than Bruce Willis was dead. Right. Usual Suspects is more than Kevin Spacey and Kaiser Sose. The rest of the movie is also good. Did you see the uh, tweet from M. Night Shyamalan the other day about what the original line was when he says, I see dead people? <laughs> he was no. kidding. Wasn't that a I joke? I don't think he, no, he wasn't kidding what, at all. What was it? What did he say? I, I, um, something about, I see, um, I'll, I'll, I'll find it while you guys talk, but like, it was, the original line for the I see dead people was not I see dead people. It was something else. Hold on. I'll find it. Oh, okay. So Sean, I have a question for you. So one of the, like I said, my other Here choice that I was thinking about was Shawshank. Okay. What is it? it? Original line was I observed deceased individuals. And then I rewrote it. No, he was, I think he was joking. <laughs> I think I was, joke. Because, because I he's think been tweeting a, a lot about, 
Um, like dope. writing, because he's been tweeting a lot about writing like a draft and editing it down to, to what you basically need. So I think his <laughs> point is, is it started this really long sentence and he edited it down. To the, I, but I don't think that was the actual real line. I hope not. Oh, I, I mean, don't think it was. That's a hacky line. Because it, it, it's a joke <laughs> that goes along with what he's been talking about a lot on Twitter. Okay, I have a question. If I had chosen Shawshank, which I did not, I chose seven. If I had chosen Shawshank, would you have made the argument that the prison break is not the ending? Oh, I think the ending is him walking on the beach. Right. See, and that's and that's weird because I, when I think of when someone says like, "How does Shawshank end?" I go, "Oh, he breaks out of prison." Yeah, no, but, but there's a, but there's another half him. hour left in the movie. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not the prison break. That to me yeah. is not the ending. I no, just had a flashback when you mentioned uh, beach to the road to perdition ending. Oh. Um, when that when you just hear the water and like yeah. the waves crashing. And you see in Conrad L. Hall cinematography, Ooh. you see his son in the reflection of the glass. Mm. And he waves at his son, and in the reflection, it's all the same shot. You see his son wave back, and then two gunshots, and yep. then in the reflection, you see his, his son panic and then run off. I have shivers. Oh. And then we're, we're Jude Law's face, God. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the glass that, all over that, him. It's one of the I best also, endings ever. I, I have no clue how neither of you guys picked a Nolan movie, because truthfully, uh, there are a lot of Nolan movies whose endings should be Pres- in contention. Yeah. Prestige? You wouldn't even say Inception? Here's the thing. Those are all great his best endings. Ending, his best ending... Is is Batman begins. Batman begins. The flip card is the best. I still think Interstellar, but uh, but one of those things. I I love Interstellar. And when he walks in and and meets his daughter as an older woman, that is so devastating. But anyways, but the the um, reason I didn't pick Nolan is as much as I love his endings, it's not something besides the ending of Inception with the turning of the uh, totem. um, None of them have actually made me conflicted. Uh, yeah. I think the I, I think it's the conflicted part of me that finds the Gone Baby Gone one so hard to chew on because mm-hmm. any route you go there, something's wrong. There's no right answer. Legally speaking, there's a right answer, but there's no right answer. It, it's a horror. And then same with Jake's thing with Brad Pitt's gun to Facey's head. It's like it's like one of those things. Like like, do you take out the guy who killed your wife and let him win, right? Or do you want that satisfaction of blowing his brains out? And it's like it's it's I don't know, man. These are—I mean, these are horrible, horrible decisions that I hope no one ever has to make in their own lives. The you audience I mean? playing along. Uh, Susan Smith said Shawshank Redemption, but now yeah. I want to know what Susan Smith thinks is the ending of Shawshank Redemption. I—I right. I think the average person would say it's the prison break, but I think the more I've thought about it, and I—I I was distraught about this with uh, with Gabe, uh, our producer Gabe. I, I think the—I think I don't—I think I'm with you. I don't think the prison breakout actually counts because just because there's so much movie left. Yeah. So by definition yeah. of the ending, Chris Folk. Yeah. Chris Folk says Goodwill Hunting, great ending, where he finally goes and knocks on Will's door and he doesn't answer. Oh yeah. Tremendous yeah. ending. That's a then, really good. Uh, uh, he uh, Robin Williams ad libbed that uh, that last line. Oh, does he? Something about like like what do he say like stole my joke or something like that, and he's like reading. Like, I thought he said it's hunting season. Doesn't he say it's hunting season? <laughs> now that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, do you no, want this, this no, podcast to go on I, for another hour? Up, I know. Grayson Tumult says The Mist, and The, the Mist is another one. Yeah, yeah the, the, mist, the Mist is insane. And that's yeah. different from what King wrote, right? Because uh, Daramont yeah, actually, actually that's changed a, that. Like King wrote, uh, if you read the, the short story, it's a fairly hopeful ending, which is unusual for Stephen King. He <laughs> normally writes very heavy endings. The, the ending in the book... Is them like stopping? I think at like a gas station or something, and they find like this old, this old uh, radio, and they're like flipping through the channels, like trying to find help because they they they've left the grocery store and they're going out. And he catches a glimmer of someone talking on the radio before it disappears, and in his head he thinks like, oh. okay, people are out there, like we we can do this, and that's, that's how that's how the the book ends. That scene though, when he kills everyone in that car, including his son, Ugh. and then five minutes later the military rolls up. Hey, could we help you? Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, talk about one of the yeah. most shocking things I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it, yeah, I'll never forget that. I've seen that and just being floored. I was like, yeah. "What?" And, the and, heck and, and just uh, Thomas James, like his just his scream. Oh, Did you imagine? That's like, I feel. I would imagine that that's and Sean, you can correct, sort of correct me if I'm wrong or right. That's going to be a movie that's going to be even harder to watch once I have kids. Oh, Ooh. completely. Like that. Like the, completely. Like the, just Ooh. the thought of like yeah. killing your kid and then realizing thirty seconds yeah. later you didn't have to. Oh, and you're yeah. ki- and you're killing your kid 
really to keep to keep him from being killed from by these suffering. monsters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like this insane. Yeah. I mean, I think I, King has come out saying that he likes the movie ending better than the one he wrote. Oh. He's a sick bastard. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Uh, Ted Meyer says Ted Meyer what, uh, says the original Italian job, and I'm not quite sure how that movie ends. Yeah, I'll neither do I. Sort of look at that ending, and then Maureen that was, says, with, uh, with Michael it's a wonderful Kane? life. Yeah, the Michael Caine one, not the. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good, Jake. Uh, next week, so we did ending blend, so we have to do hashtag opening blend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I already have my we answer. Have I already have my answer. Do you really? Oh God, wait, do I? Oh no. So uh, is it opening blend or beginning blend? They're both the same, but I would do opening blend. I, I feel like oh, when I think of a movie, I think of opening, like the opening, yeah, the opening, opening of the hashtag film. opening blend. So play along. Follow us at Real Blend. Um, let us know your choice for opening blend. I, I think I think Jake and I are gonna have the same one. I don't think so. I know Jake's. I don't think uh, you do. Jake, uh, without saying it, does your movie title have two words in it? No. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Okay, uh, we will be back wait, next week. Wait, wait. Yes. I, I guess it's you, the Meg. I guess, yeah. I guess yeah. You can follow us at, uh, <laughs> at Real Blend, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and Is at Dunkirk uh, Sean two words? underscore O'Connell. <laughs> Dunkirk. The entire Dunkirk is the opening of Dunkirk. The entire movie is the opening. Thank you very much for tuning in and watching our show this week, and we will be back at it next week. Talk to you guys then. Dunkirk! Meg sucks. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big